We live in a time when religious identity is not based so much upon what you believe so much as how you behave and who you act with in the community, what you care about in social issues. Today, Marv Knox will be on Good God talking about that and his work with an organization called Fellowship Southwest. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program today my friend Marv Knox. Marv, welcome. Thank you, George. Glad to have you here. Marv is now the coordinator of what's called Fellowship Southwest. It's a, uh, an ecumenical organization that is uh, uh, individuals and churches that are seeking to promote the common good and uh, and work in the public square. But before we sort of get to that, Marv, I'd, I'd like to, you know, just connect somewhat with your history and uh, your story. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we love to do on Good God is to uh, find out how people discover their vocation. Right. Uh, wh wh where were you raised and, and how did uh, faith become a part of your life and your sense of call? How did all of that take place? Yeah, thanks. Well, um, you know, I grew up in the Panhandle, Texas, Baptist preacher's kids, small towns, small churches. And, um, you know, I can't ever remember not loving Jesus because that was kind of the air right. that we, we breathed when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, my, my parents allowed me on a Sunday night when I was eight years old to walk the aisle and commit myself to what we called back then full-time Christian service. At eight years old? Eight years old. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, uh, and, and at that time, in my worldview, I thought I was going to become a preacher like my daddy right. or a foreign missionary like I saw at church camp in the summer. And that, right. that's all I knew. Sure. So for the longest, I thought I was. So I was rural area. I was the preacher boy up there. By the time I got to be about 14, little churches would call me to preach on Sunday no night. No kidding. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I was so young, my mom had to drive me to go preach. And I can't imagine how, what I inflicted on those people. Uh, and then, uh, I didn't know it, but what I would look back and call today, I, I began to have a struggle with my calling uh, because I didn't feel totally comfortable. And mm -hmm. so people would call me up and or call my dad and ask him, Marv, come preach. And I'd always say yes, because I felt like I had to. And then I'd hang up the phone and cry. I mean, oh, wow. and I started, because I didn't want to say no to God, but I, right. I was having trouble saying yes right. to that. Yeah. Fast forward, I went to Hardin-Simmons University, a little school out in uh, Abilene, Texas. And... Um, began to see a broader picture. Uh, and I loved to write. My high school teachers had called that out in me. And so uh, I'd, been on the, I'd been on the staff of the high school newspaper. I was uh, the editor of the, of the college newspaper. Uh, and uh, so happened, Toby Druin, who uh, was a layman who worked for the Baptist Standard here in Dallas, was a friend of my father since I was a little boy. And my dad said one time on spring break my sophomore year, let's go see Toby. Mm -hmm. I went over and saw Toby and John Hurt. Mm -hmm. John Hurt was the John editor. John Hurt was a member of Wilshire Baptist Church, and as a he matter was. Of fact. He loved this church, yes, as I do too. Did. But he yes. loved it more, yes. I'm sure, because he was here forever. Right. And, and and we had known Toby since I was two or three years old. Both laymen. Right. Both following God's call on their lives right, right. through journalism. I didn't know it that afternoon, but my life right. changed that day because I had freedom then to pursue that calling, which I did for almost all my life. Well, everybody doesn't know it, of course, but the Baptist Standard is the Texas Baptist newspaper. Right. And uh, it started in what year? 
1888. Remarkable. So yeah. it's a weekly uh, uh -huh. paper, uh -huh. and you now, now online. Now online. That's right. And you became uh, the editor of that paper when? In January 19. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, 99, yeah. In 99, yeah. having come from Kentucky, where right. you worked for yeah. the Western and Recorder. And I've been here as right? the associate for three years, but then I was editor in Kentucky at the Western Recorder okay. for five All years. Okay, all right. So anyway, so journalism became your real sense of, of call right. for that season of life, right? right? And, yeah. and, and actually, you know, one of the things that many of us relied upon is that you would be the kind of journalist who would preach with your pen. Mm -hmm. That is to say, you would hold accountable Baptists for their behavior, for trying to, um, you know, call them to be true to who Baptists were and are supposed to be and have been. Uh, and so w we would uh, relish your editorials uh, yeah, week thanks. by week. And it was a great contribution. Wasn't a universally held opinion. <laughs> uh, we, we lived through some contentious times back then. Uh, but that's know? what I felt like my calling was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and of course, uh, you know, we it, everyone has their role to play. And you and I have lived through times when we were. Uh, fully invested in Southern Baptist life mm -hmm. and in Texas mm -hmm. Baptist mm -hmm. life. And, 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 and we now are in a time when we are no longer connected to Southern Baptists or te technically to Texas Baptists yeah. either. We uh, have found ways to create new Baptist identity uh, that we think is rooted more in our Baptist tradition. What are some of those Baptist guiding principles that you think are bedrock for you and for the kind of Baptists that we seek to be? Yeah, so a bunch, but, yeah. but the ones that come to mind first are uh, the priesthood of all believers, soul competency, that each person has the not only the right, but the responsibility yeah. to, to relate directly to God, to study scripture, to seek their way forward. We do mm -hmm. it in community, but ultimately it rests with us individually. We don't have a mediator in right. between us. And then a corollary to that, because we come together in congregations, is the autonomy of the, of the local church, or the right. local congregation to make decisions together. And that that helps us to uh, to to find our way forward in a, in, in community mm -hmm. uh, again, holding both privilege and responsibility in tension. Um, and then in a larger context, then a thing that I'm I'm proud of Baptist for being is being for religious liberty for all people. This dates to. 400 years or more ago, uh, Thomas Hell was one of the very first Baptists, was right. a huge champion for that. Told off the king, said, you can't tell people what to do. And then on these shores, Roger Williams was... Um, was a great uh, champion and founded Rhode Island Colony for religious liberty, and then and then others throughout the throughout history and even up to this day have been among the most most foremost champions uh, for religious liberty, uh, but not necessarily the way you see it defined a lot now. Uh, well, today it seems like religious liberty is being redefined by many Baptists and certainly by evangelical Christians in yeah. America as being. Uh, the right to discriminate mm -hmm. uh, rather uh, than uh, the, the freedom to worship and the respect of everyone 
uh, to be able to worship freely. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, really a, a departure from our historic understanding of religious liberty. But uh, I agree with you, those are our bedrock uh, guiding principles for the kind of Baptists we want to be. And of course, I think we should hasten to say that while uh, they are our Baptist convictions, they are shared by many other kinds of Christians also and people of other religious traditions. Right. Uh, these are not uh, you know, solely uh, the provenance of, of Baptists, uh, but, uh, but really they are principles that we seek to defend in being the kind of Baptists we are. Yeah, James Dunn, whom you knew, yes. is going to be with the Lord now, but was quite a character but understood Baptist very well. And he, he said the same thing. These these values are shared by sisters and brothers, uh, all kinds of folks. Right. It's maybe the little recipe, that, that how they all come together, that, yeah. and the, maybe the, the emphasis that it makes it a little bit unique, but we mm -hmm. share them with a lot of folks. So you and I have traveled uh, different paths in one sense, but we find ourselves together in another way as being the kind of Baptists that I mentioned earlier have become disenfranchised with the large, from the larger Southern Baptist world and Texas Baptist world that we were so closely associated with. And yet on the other side, we're, we're saying that we're the kind of uh, Baptists and Christians that are seeking to find common cause with other kinds of Baptists and Christians too. So it's an odd place to be in that we, we, we find ourselves not by our own choice or decision so much, disenfranchised from some, but what do you make of this kind of time we're in, Marv, where on the one hand we have this greater desire for cooperation, collaboration with other Christians and, and, and other religions. And on the other hand, we have those who are sort of double down, doubling down on their, um, th their identity and making sure that they participate only with people who agree with them. It's an, it's an odd time, isn't it, where yeah. both of those things are happening at once. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that on the doubling down side, yeah. um, it seems that's motivated by fear, fear of change, fear mm -hmm. of being overwhelmed by larger and larger numbers of people who seem to be different. Yes. Uh, on the other side, uh, there's just a great convergence of things that have happened. So mm -hmm. I can remember, years and years ago when I was in seminary in Louisville, um, Bill Leonard, who we both count as a really good Very friend, a uh, great yeah. uh, church historian, particularly of American church history, mm -hmm. he predicted, this would have been in 82 maybe or so, wow. uh, that, 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 that folks of, of faith, instead of falling along the lines of denomination, uh, would begin to have affinity along a spectrum. Back then, he said, from from fundamentalist to liberal, mm -hmm. but in that conservative, uh, progressive uh, perspective, and that they could find common cause along uh, different areas for things that they have an affinity with that, that transcend denomination. And so, right. I think that's part of it. We've seen that to become true. And then really we also true. work with young adults who mm -hmm. we know that are very fluid in their mm -hmm. in in their in their faith traditions. And so you sit down in a Bible study group and you can have folks that have come from all kinds of things yes. and they've chosen the church particularly because they may like the preaching, they may like the children's or the youth ministries, they, yes. they may like what the church stands for in the community, but that makes us even more ecumenical. Because it really isn't something where when they go to look for a church, 
uh, they go to the yellow pages as if yeah. such a thing really anybody ever did that anymore. But you know, they they wouldn't look necessarily for the brand and right. say Baptist or Methodist yeah. or Lutheran or Presbyterian or whatever. They they tend to look in their neighborhoods and their right. communities, right. Right? right? And and where their friends go and their their kids um, have friends at school together. And so they they they, they tend to to figure is this the kind of church that feels right to us in, yes. our, in our place. And, and so doctrinal differences are not what drives a lot of these folks anymore. No, no, yeah. you, you know, and if you, if you get into that w w in a discussion, it really gets uh, enlightening, interesting, uh, right. For someone who's been around for a while, sometimes a little surprising. Yes. Uh, but it, but but I found that 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 mix, like you described, is so strong that that people will they'll have strong affinity. They may be in one kind of congregation, have a strong affinity for a very different kind of congregation theologically. Yes. But they like the mix of what that congregation did, mm. and oftentimes don't necessarily think critically about well, how is that different than what we say we believe right. around here, right. uh, and 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 have a fluidity that uh, is is fairly comfortable. Um, it's sort of instructive to me because I'm not wired that way, and so I think about those theological distinctives, and right. it may make my hackles even get up a little bit. And then I take a good lesson from those folks to say. They just love each other. They love mm -hmm. the faith. They love what people are doing in the community on behalf of the Lord or on behalf of what they believe. So why not lighten up a little bit and, and not try to put them in a mold? And, and yet as a pastor, I find myself um, both welcoming this development and also feeling more and more responsibility to make sure that there is some way that people can be formed in the faith. Yeah, great point. So that it's not only about affinity groups around social issues mm -hmm. or worldview mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. children's programs or something, but that they, they have a sense that uh, they they know what the basic Christian beliefs are. Right. Uh, that, that when they find themselves uh, in, in at a moment of serious illness or the death of a loved one or uh, a, a crisis of life, they have some place to come back to, some bedrock, some way of thinking about who God is and how God relates to the world uh, and, and what the Christian faith is really about. And, and I do find that in this movement from uh, the years when we were really working hard on making sure everyone knew what they what Baptists believe, what Christians believe, to this more uh, free-flowing interchange among Christian denominations that's that's based more on affinity. Uh, somehow we have to have a balance between right, that, right. and uh, and and I think that's really a, a partly a responsibility for those of us who lead churches uh, to to make sure those things are true. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we want to talk about how this works out now with Fellowship Southwest, this organization that you're leading. Okay. So we'll be right back. Sounds great. The Good God Program is a project of Faith Commons, a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2018 to promote the common good. Think of a commons on a campus and how you can bring all your faith and people from all corners of the campus together. Think of the city that way. Think of the country that way. Faith Commons aims to bring people together to promote greater understanding and peace throughout our communities. You can find more information about it at faithcommons.org. 
We're back with Marv Knox, coordinator of Fellowship Southwest. Now, when did this start, Marv? And tell us something about the birth of this organization. Right. So uh, we're almost uh, two years old. Uh, we started August of uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, the genesis was was uh, birth uh, behind that. Uh, and sort of Reader's Digest version is that uh, we are affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Uh, and at that time, the leader of CBF um, was Susie Painter. Uh, she was living in Georgia, but she was a Texan. And she understood some of the ethos of, of, of Fellowship Baptist uh, and this part of the world. Uh, we, we are uh, affiliated with Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California. So except for Oklahoma, we have the border in common, and then Texas, Oklahoma have a lot of the same kind of uh, cultural, social ethos as well. She understood how separated we were, how we didn't have a whole lot of uh, infrastructure. Uh, a lot of folks felt very isolated. And, and so uh, Fellowship Southwest uh, was started to come alongside those groups to kind of help, uh, help us find each other. And uh, because we were understaffed to fill in the gaps of a ministry, that sort of thing, uh, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. And, uh, and then the other was to expand uh, the um, uh, ecumenical, cultural, racial relationships that we had across this vast region. Uh, because as we were talking about before, uh, the, the ecumenical relationships come, uh, I think, naturally in a lot of ways for a lot of our lay people. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have many opportunities to have common cause uh, for the greater good uh, with, with other groups. And so why not put some emphasis on that and see what can happen? So let's think about Fellowship Southwest in terms of uh, what it does and then who it does it with, right, right as, as an organization. So to begin with, there's an awful lot of work happening right now on the border, right. obviously. We have a, a, a migrant crisis uh, and uh, just you know, tremendous frustration all through the country and certainly in Texas and in the border states about what to do with the Central American refugee crisis, sure. what's happening with children separated from their parents at the border and the warehousing of people, uh, the, 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 the basic unpreparedness of, uh, of our country to deal with this level of migration. And of course, the, the challenge uh, theoretically about how we treat outsiders and those who sure. want to come. So what is Fellowship Southwest doing? Uh, how does it invite individuals and congregations to participate with it around uh, challenges like that? Yeah, so, and, and that one in particular, it's, uh, you know, kind of start where you can and do what, you, what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we are enormously blessed uh, in that uh, Jorge Zapata, who is the associate coordinator for CBF in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, is a, a native of the borderlands and is doing ministry down there. He lives in Harlingen, Texas, and he's, uh, he's been on the border, except for a couple of short ministry stints away, uh, his, his whole life very well connected, natural uh, uh, at building relationships uh, and, and alliances uh, across denominational lines and faith lines even too. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's lots of things you 
want to do but you can't do. Uh, yes. Every week I get letters from people who basically say, I just want to go down there and love on those babies. Right. They're talking about the separated children. That's it, just not going to happen. Right. We can't get access. Uh, we, we work alongside and sometimes send volunteers to other groups like Catholic Charities, the mm -hmm. uh, Interfaith Welcome uh, Coalition in San Antonio uh, with, uh, with a good friend John Garland, a Mennonite pastor down there helping to lead that. And so we plug in. Uh, what we're also able to do, particularly because of Jorge's relationship, is we are working with the churches on both sides of the border who are just naturally ministering to uh, the people who are on their literal doorsteps, right. uh, helping them with feeding and sheltering. Uh, mm -hmm. The distinctions are a little different. The, the circumstances of someone who's an asylum seeker who's made it into the United States is different. They're in process on the move exactly. under the control of the U.S. government. Uh, and, uh, and we're helping them in the gaps to get to where they need to go to have uh, encouragement, love, nurture, food, and clothing. On the other side of the border, uh, their circumstances are di dire because they're just there waiting. But on both sides, uh, congregations are there and they see these people that are hurting they, they respond to Jesus' uh, call, as he said in Matthew 25, to the least of these, and, and they're reaching out. And so we've had the uh, happy opportunity, uh, heartbreaking opportunity as well, to come alongside them and to try to help them. And, and it, that's run the gamut, too. There, some of these are Baptist congregations. Some of them are Pentecostal. Uh, some of them are uh, other faith groups. Uh, but, but, but we all have in common that we, we have compassion for these people. Uh, it's a huge political issue, but deeper, it's a humanitarian crisis. People are trying to work together to do what we can do. So I, I think one of the keys I hear from you about this is that Fellowship Southwest is an organization that can help local churches uh, do what they want to do because you make the connection among churches and uh, on certain issues that they might care about, but many individual congregations are not equipped to be able to do everything on their own. Right. And so this is a way of doing it collaboratively and about um, uh, how to participate together. So uh, you already mentioned we work with um, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal kind of churches at mm -hmm. the border. This gets to the larger point we were making earlier about how instead of just forming a new Baptist entity, uh, Fellowship Southwest doesn't have Baptist in its name. Right, it has right. been, it's birthed by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, but it has a very intentional desire in the future uh, to really work across denominational lines. And I know we have uh, United Methodist pastors on the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what are some of the other ecumenical markers that you've been able to see uh, in the work so far? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of things where there's need uh, and, and people want to work together uh, on them. So uh, I, I already mentioned Jorge Zapata is working with us on the border with, uh, with Immigrant Relief Ministry. Uh, the Assemblies of God have asked him, the, 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 the regional group down there, to help them with church starting as well My as uh, with uh, their own immigrant relief efforts. Uh, and uh, we, have, we have a group here 
here in Texas that uh, uh, CBF Texas uh, works on uh, uh, encouraging young ministers, and that's become ecumenical. Our latest gathering had some Lutheran pastors from uh, uh, the South Texas that participated with some Baptists. They got to know each other. They studied some common uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked with uh, some uh, Pentecostal pastors in uh, the Houston area. Mm -hmm. uh, we're working on theological education, uh, particularly for Spanish speakers and particularly in remote areas. Uh, and Bright Divinity School at TCU is one of our partners mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. on uh, figuring out how to deliver that. So almost everywhere you look, if there's a need, uh, also even in disaster recovery, and yes. that's interfaith. Uh, right. uh, we had Baptist groups that were working in Rochere in a small farming community south of Houston after Hurricane Harvey, and where they had lunch every day when they were helping to rebuild the homes was at the local Buddhist temple because it was the largest common uh, building in the area. So uh, I, I think people of goodwill and of all kinds of faith, when they look at the world around them, uh, they see that the issues usually often are bigger than they can do alone, but if we work together, we can accomplish them. We don't necessarily blur our differences, but we also grow closer to one another because in the working of it, we learn more about each other. We learn more about what makes each other tick. Uh, and, and that builds a stronger, uh, stronger fabric within our communities. Well, I, I think you're making a really important point. Good God and uh, its sort of parent company, you might say, Faith Commons, works specifically to try to create understanding, uh, giving information, education across faith lines and uh, all, all kinds of divisions of society, trying to model civil discourse, uh, generous conversations, uh, as we're doing right here. But when we're talking about something like Fellowship Southwest, we're, we're not just talking about uh, symposia mm -hmm. uh, where people come together and share ideas. Uh, we're actually talking about working together. Right. And, and I think that sometimes uh, we learn more by working side by side on issues of public concern, mm -hmm. things where people are in crisis, where there's compassion ministry going on, and we don't check our denominational badges before we cooperate. We just look at human need and then learn to love and respect one another uh, as we're doing it and then reflect upon that. Right. And that seems to be the way Fellowship Southwest is oriented. Yeah, I, th I think there's something deeply sacramental about sweat. <laughs> uh, about about laboring together, about yeah. doing things. Sometimes it's real sweat. Sometimes it's 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 intellectual sweat of thinking uh -huh. about issues. But right. but you come together, and and when you're focusing on those things, I think mm -hmm. the guard drops a lot of times. The real person comes out. Right. We see our fears. We see our humor. We see uh, the things we love. We we learn about each other's families because we're doing these things right. together. And uh, and and that's just a great mix, I think. So. When you th look at the threads of your own life and your own journey, uh, from this sense early of a call to ministry that then you realized was less about being a preacher or a church uh, leader, more about being a journalist, uh, and now you are uh, a, a, a nonprofit um, Christian organizational leader uh, working in this way, how do you follow that thread and see how it makes sense when you look back? Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess I think about first thing that comes to mind is um, 
I remember, you may remember Grady Nutt. Grady was a Christian humorist. He, he was. was on Hee Haw. That's how a lot of people would know him. Right. Uh, we were members of the of the same uh, church uh, in, in Louisville. Louisville when I was in seminary, and Grady was still alive. Uh, and he preached a sermon for the uh, Youth Sunday about Abraham. Abram, yeah. uh, and, he, and he played off the old King James language, but he talked about that God would, in King James language, I believe, said was, I'll show you a land you know not of. Yes. And then he went back and he told Sarah's wife about, about that, and she would ask, where are we going? I know not of. What are we going to do? I know not of. Right. Made it really funny. But I think right. uh, as a child in a small town and small churches, I, there was a lot I knew not of. <laughs> and so life has been a journey. Uh, and the exciting thing is, there's still a whole lot I know not of, and so that kind of makes it fun to get up in the morning and not know uh, when the next phone call is going to take us on, Fellowship Southwest, on a new part of this uh, mission together. You know, Marv, it's so interesting you put it that way because I think a lot of people assume that to be a religious leader of some sort is to have things figured out that (laughs) everybody else doesn't, and that we're somehow the religious professionals we are the people who have already answered the questions. So if you just come to us, uh, you know, we'll, we'll help you uh, settle all of that. When in fact, what I think happens is uh, we, we are the people who have learned how to live with the knowing not of. Yes. Um, we, we are constantly learning to walk by faith, not by sight, mm-hmm. as the scripture mm-hmm. says, uh, becoming uh, as comfortable as we can possibly be with our being uncomfortable uh, in the world uh, and, and and realizing that uh, settling down is not the ultimate goal of uh, the spiritual life, but rather it's to be in this adventure into the unknown, right. to trust God, to risk, uh, to understand that uh, you can't take it with you, so you might as well travel light yeah. and uh, see where God is leading us next. Thank you for being a great example of that to us and for being a good partner with us, too. Well, thanks, George. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and um, it's good to know that I'm on a journey with partners like uh, you, like Wilshire, and uh, great friends. That makes it all worthwhile. Terrific. Well, thanks for being our good God, thanks, too, George. Good. Appreciate you. you bet. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.